Cooperatives have played an important role in agricultural processing and marketing for more than 100 years. What is it about co-ops that makes them well-suited for this? And take a step back, even what are cooperatives? My name is Mike Von Masso, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest this episode is Michael Barrett, who's the president and CEO of Gay Lee Dairy Processing Cooperative. And he talks about what co-ops are, what he thinks the strengths are, what's important for co-ops to succeed, and the role they can continue to play in the food system going forward. I found the conversation fascinating, and I expect you will too. Well, Michael, I really enjoyed our, our conversation on, on your career and, and on the past and the future of the dairy industry. Uh, and so thanks for coming back and, and thanks for that and for coming back. Well, I appreciate the opportunity uh, to be invited back. So uh, as you can tell, Mike, I don't have a problem talking. So I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm rarely accused of being a shrinking violet myself, Michael. Yeah. What One of the things that I think that uh, is relatively unique to agriculture is the co-op business model. Now, there are other industries that have it, but we've seen some, some very successful and some profoundly unsuccessful co-ops. Gay Lee, which you have been involved with for over 20 years and have led for the past several, is a cooperative. What's appealing about the cooperative model in agriculture generally and in dairy specifically? Well, that's uh, certainly it's, uh, that's a good question. And I'm known uh, in, in all uh, transparency, Mike, as a little bit of the cooperative evangelist. So I have, I do have a strong bias, so I will tell you that. But I will also back it up 23 years to say that when I joined Gailey Foods, I had no clue what a co-op was. My experience with cooperatives was cooperative housing and co-op education, yeah. which is not related at all to a co-op. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, not at all. But I have learned to be able to appreciate the model been able to see it uh, nationally, uh, North America, and even internationally, um, and to be able to see the strength of the cooperative model, especially in the agricultural sector, though it has long, has long roots way outside of the agriculture industry. But to answer your question specifically, to me, one of the, the benefits of being a cooperative is it's just not an economic model. You know, some universities and very few try to teach the cooperatives as an economic model, but they're missing the half of it. It's a socioeconomic model. So it's not just about being able to ensure that a need is met in a community. It talks about the societal values as well. May come as a surprise to some, but when the Rochdale movement started, and that's the grandfather of today's modern cooperatives. There's many cooperatives prior to that, but today really most of us have our roots in the, in the Rochdale model. You know, they came up with uh, 10 principles, one of them being equal rights for women. And they had votes for women in 1848 in their cooperative. It's always been a socioeconomic model. So for me, 
when you talk about making sure that farmers receive value, it's also talking about uh, sustaining that social side, the structures, communities, education, outreach, hands out, hands up, all those elements as well. And that's why I think from, a, from an agricultural and even beyond that, it's a model that works well if done right. And you are right. There are cooperatives that have not succeeded. And I would have, you know, some of my own opinions on why. Uh, but uh, for me, yep. it is, uh, it's a model that works well for ensuring economic parity, but also social benevolence and growth. So, so that's awesome. And what I, I'm going to take a step back and what I should have asked first is what is a co-op and how does it differ from other businesses? Well, certainly uh, a co-op is basically the primary producer or the primary community owning the business. So I often say we're of farmers, by farmers, for farmers, but there are many different types of co-ops. There are funeral cooperatives, housing co-ops, I mean, insurance, cooperators, insurance. It is about being yep. able to ensure that what's uh, done is a need. There's a need is recognized and a need is met uh, by individuals who uh, benefit by the service by owning it. So Gailey Foods, for example, is definitely it's 100% owned by producers, uh, it's, it's not beholding to any other organization. Cooperators is the same. Growmark is the same. You know, we have many, many co-ops in, in Ontario and across Canada that are, are the same. But it is about being able to meet a need. But it's also, secondly, it's democratically controlled. So the governance model is ruled by the farmers. So that's what I mean by of farmers, by farmers. So it is about, it's controlled by uh, the farmers itself. They are elected in some sort of democratic structure. They run the business. They have one employee, which is, in Gregaly, it's me, but we have a board of 10 farmer members that make the decisions on behalf of the of farmers. And they're there to be able to ensure that a co-op meets the needs of the farmer. So it is um, a, a socioeconomic structure that is there to be able to satisfy a recognized need within the community. And it can be across the spectrum. So that's that's what I, w- I expected you to say. Does that, why does it work better than say, a, as a dairy cooperative, as an example, why does it work better or uh, than a privately held company? What do you think are the attributes that really contribute to the success of Gay Lee and allow you to compete in, in that broader marketplace? Yeah, and that's a good question, and I think it right goes right back to the farm. You know that old phrase, Mike, from farm to fork. Uh, so we are making decisions at the Gailey board table that not only meets the demands and uh, of consumers, but it also always takes into consideration the needs of our processor uh, producer owners. For example, this year, you know, we are giving out. Uh, almost $20 million back to our farmer members. And where, where does that get spent? It gets spent on equipment. It gets spent on seed, fertilizer, you know, gets spent in the local community. So when you look at what is the difference, you know, between, let's say, uh, a share capital 
The share capital goes to investors that is far divorced from the farm as you can possibly get. So the decisions are made to be able to ensure that the, the shareholder makes as much money as they can. In our organization, we do the same, but our shareholder is a farmer. Our farmer is the primary producer. So it's not a us versus them. It's an us and a we that look towards being able to make sure the whole industry is satisfied, not to see if we can get the farmer to take a lesser price, but to see how we can actually support our farmer by getting extra value in the marketplace. Now, that's I'm not downgrading share capital organizations, but the farmer's not sitting at the table. The farmer is a supplier. It's not a partner. The Gailey Foods, they're not only a partner, as I used to say for the hair club for men, they're also owners too. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so in that respect, I think you've articulated really well some of the benefits of cooperatives. And partly it is, I think, historically and in other commodities, maybe even to deal with the issue of market power a little bit, that's probably reduced in supply management because we have central desk selling and and someone setting those prices. But there is still real value in in maintaining margins and generating margins and value for the farmer owners rather than for the shareholders. Again, as you said, nothing wrong with that, but a model that allows the producer to to participate more fully along the value chain. Absolutely. And and certainly that's, you know, I, I obviously have a bias, Mike, I, I said that, but certainly I see that as an attribute that allows it to happen. And as you said, we're in a supply managed system, but we don't have to go far south against the, across the border, you know, with Growmark and Land O'Lakes and Dairy Farmers of America, that one of their primary goals in a non-regulated environment is to be able to ensure that there's equity of pricing and to get the very best pricing. Without co-ops, you really have the other side of the table saying, I want a reduction in price, where the co-ops are working very hard in order to be able to keep a value price, value price for the dairy farmers, producers, uh, because it is a livelihood. So, I mean, we don't necessarily, to your point, have to do the same, but co-ops, whether they're here or in Europe, uh, that's a primary responsibility to make sure they get the very bright, best price. And we don't have to look too far back in history, uh, whether it's the uh, Atlantic fisherman or the grain farmer or the dairy farmer or the pork farmer to recognize when markets have all the power, the farmer is the one that usually typically suffers in an unregulated marketplace because that's the easiest place to squeeze pricing. So, Yeah, and, and to me, it's not just about price, Michael. It's also about access to the market. Is yeah. If we look at a model here in, in, here in Ontario, Conestoga Packers, which is a cooperative for swine producers, if you are a member of that cooperative, you know someone's going to buy your pigs regardless of what the market is like right now. And that stability and predictability is also critically important in some marketplaces, I think. Yeah, less so in dairy with the the system that we have. I know knowing Conestoga well and knowing the the president of Conestoga, I've been had the fortunate or pleasure of of actually touring that uh, facility as well. And to your point, it's just not about ensuring that you can purchase their, their pigs. It's also about they work very hard on developing markets overseas. 
So it's it's as much about developing market as was well. So uh, we do that in at Gailey in a different way. Uh, but Sir Conestoga has developed some incredible markets based upon the skill sets and the, the, the sweat, toil and tears and being able to ensure that they can buy because they know where they can sell as well. So they're definitely an excellent yeah. model of being able to add value. So, so Michael, you, you articulated and you acknowledged your biases up front, uh, and I appreciated that. But I, you know, I expected you would have some biases given your role, and, and, and I was open to that discussion. What are some of the challenges with running a co-op? Well, I think that uh, the, the challenge is, uh, for me, the biggest one that exists is in good governance models within co-ops. And I would dare say that, um, you know, I'm a bit of a governance geek and recognizing the importance of governance. You know, good governance typically means you have a good organization. And this isn't just limited to co-ops. It's also limited to, uh, you know, uh, other organizations, crown corps. When you, when you fail on governance, you fail on the organization. It's a little different in co-ops because we are talking primary producers, we're talking primary producers sitting around the table and being able to ensure that there's that concept of, uh, you know, noses in and fingers out, that recognizing that there's a skill set in order to be able to run a business versus a skill set knowing how to run a farm and being able to ensure that there's good governance model, good governance training. I often will say to my board, you don't want me running your farm as much as I don't want you running the business. But there is a balance between the two of like oversight, good governance on responsibilities and reporting, good connectivity back to the primary members, transparency in information, and develop, developing good measurements in order to be able to make sure that what's happening is happening. But I have seen organizations, I've had a, a unique opportunity to be able to, to travel uh, to Europe and to be able to interview individuals who saw dairy farmers of Britain go under, primarily a governance model, co-ops in Australia and New Zealand, where uh, Murray Goldburn, for example, very difficult governance models that weren't followed, where the farmer was not being considered, where they started to be able to drift from the cooperative values and principles. To me, the biggest uh, challenge that we have is maintaining good governance I would suggest it's, like I said, beyond just co-ops, I could point to a lot of crown corps that have lost their yeah. way uh, when they don't have good governance and oversight. I would say certainly uh, we're seeing that in the, in the hockey league today where good governance has yeah. not been an attribute able to ensure fulfillment of purpose. But it's a sometimes I think it's a little more difficult in farmer co-op because we have very skilled farmers who know how to run business, as we said in our last interview, complexity of that, have some incredible skill sets um, and want to be part of the solution. But it's also making sure that what they do is understand the oversight as opposed to the fingers in running the business. You know, yeah, they, and, and, and it was interesting to me. It was interesting to me when you said that one of the challenges was drifting away from the co-op model. And I think that that I've seen some examples of co-ops that have struggled where sort of the farmer members say, this is something that has benefit to us, 
but isn't necessarily a good business and have gone down, say, a wrong path because of the the desire to do something for the primary producers without really thinking about whether it's a good business to be in or not. Yeah, it's a it's a very strong point. Uh, Andy McGilvery, when he was with us, coined the phrase, and I have stolen it liberally and used it. Uh, being a co-op doesn't mean that you're a charity. Being a co-op means you still have to run a good business and you still have to have the same attributes. That's why you need good governance. You need a strong board, resolute and yeah. purpose, because sometimes you have to make some tough decisions in order to be able to make sure you have um, – uh, you know, a, a co-op that is is profitable. And so therefore, it's necessary to understand those governance models. But I agree with you fully. I mean, being a co-op doesn't mean that you run a lousy business. A co-op means that you should actually feel the pressure and breath of every single one of those farmers on the back of your neck because you have their, their livelihood. <laughs> it means even more you have to run a good business. But I would agree with you. Sometimes... Co-ops have gotten themselves into trouble because they have wanted to do things for the members as opposed to doing things for the co-op as a whole. And we've unfortunately, we've seen a few of those. A co-op Atlantic is an example in, in Canadian history. I often said I should retire and write a book on, on the co-op model, but uh, because I think there are attributes that are successful in some watch out fors uh, as in a cooperative model. But just yeah. to be on the other side, to advocate, the reality is that uh, three times as many co-ops are in business in 10 years than our share capital organizations that start at the same time. Co-ops have longevity uh, because there is a commitment on behalf of those individuals. And, they, and farmers and co-ops see everything in sense of um, generational equity. So in the sense... They're building today, but they know it has to last for the grandchildren of tomorrow. Sometimes share capital, look at it. I built this organization. It's time to cash in and sell. Uh, co-ops aren't typically yep. like that. So, so you, answered my, you answered my last question there, I think, already, is that co-ops last because often if they struggle early, as long as they have the commitments of the membership, to say that that we're, we we have a long term view, and it's about generational equity. It's about being a. It is about about making this work for us in the long haul. That really allows successful co ops to not only weather the difficulties of startup, but also perhaps do better at weathering uh, stormy waters uh, at any point in their lives. Yeah, and I would say the generational equity piece is a critical component of success for co-ops for longevity. But I would say that, you know, not all, you know, Gailey's growth has been a straight line. You know, when we invested in Teeswater, you know, and you had to make the payments and you have to pay the interest and you got to pay the principal. I mean, we had a couple of years where uh, we weren't necessarily making the same level of profitability that uh, our members have become used to. But I will tell you this, and from being the CEO position, um, I got an incredible amount of support and assurance from not only members, but the board, because they recognized that what they were doing was investing for the future, knowing they had to make a sacrifice today uh, in order to be able to drive tomorrow. 
And I would say that in a share capital business, you're out the door as soon as your kind of your political and share capital go down. And that wasn't the case. It was more about put your shoulder against the grindstone, keep pushing. You know, and today, you know, in 2022, record sales, record profitability, record EBITDA, that investment that the farmers made in 2018, that we suffered some experience of a downturn in 2019 and 2020, certainly paid off in 21 and 22. And that's why I love working for a co-op. They see long-term, not short-term. And that's a blessing, yep. especially as a CEO, to be quite honest. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that, I mean, you talked, uh, I don't know if it was in this conversation or our previous one where you said uh, a competitor CEO said to you, I bet you would have wished uh, you might not have done that. And you said, I wish I had done two of them in, right. in Teeswater instead of just one. Do you think that that's an investment that that was more likely to be made because you're a co-op than in than in a private capital company? Not likely. I would say that it was assuredly it, the investment yeah. would only be made by a co-op. And uh, certainly Gailey's been part of that. 2003 in Delta, I mean, pardon me, in Guelph, we were laughed at by our competition for building that dryer. Uh, and then certainly in Teeswater again. So most assuredly, Mike, uh, share capital companies are interested in being able to have a quick return. I'm not blaming them. That's their method. That's their model. That's the standard. Yep. Uh, but farmers know that they need the dryer, for example, because it maintains and assures long-term sustainability, not short-term profitability. Good. Well, I think that was a, an outstanding introduction to, to the co-op model, and I appreciate your insight. I learned a couple of things. Before I let you go, Michael, is there anything that I should have asked you I didn't or a point you'd like to make about co-ops that, that I didn't give you the opportunity to? Yeah, just uh, just the last thing I'd like to say is that I've really I've been very fortunate and lucky in my role at Gailey Foods. I've traveled globally. I've taught, spoken, helped co-ops get started. And many times in North America, we see these co-ops as staid, conservative, and things of the past. Well, I will tell you that globally, co-ops are of the future, of hope, of growth, and of opportunity. And I think we just need to touch our model a bit, Mike, because to me, especially now more than ever, especially now that we have less and less trust in the systems that guide us, we need cooperatives to be able to lead us. So I am biased. I could be a preacher any day of the week for co-ops. But to me, co-ops are not of the past. Co-ops are the model for the future as we balance the socio and the economic needs of what this world is heading towards. Yeah, I, I think that there's, particularly in, in some areas, it has a real, real a proven record and a real opportunity to contribute more. So thanks for that, Michael, and uh, best of luck in your retirement. I appreciate that, uh, Mike, and appreciate the opportunity again, as usual. Thank you. Cooperatives have and continue to play an important role in our food system. 
bringing groups of farmers together in common interest to bring products to market has been a very successful model. And as Michael said, can continue to be an important model, not only in bringing products to market, but in developing and sustaining vibrant rural communities and giving farmers a voice in the processing industry. I enjoyed the discussion and I hope you did too. As always, we thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please provide us with a review. It helps other people find us. You can subscribe. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we look forward to interacting with you again.